Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm your host, Nathan Staples, and joining me this week are Eric Devin and Philippe Bargil. The footballing roulette wheel took us for another spin this week, but Liga finally saw their numbers come up and strike gold. We reflect on that and on what has been an excellent week, along with the upcoming Le Bleu fixtures, after the latest headlines. On Friday's early match, Bastia managed to keep 11 men on the pitch for a change, but it wasn't enough as an own goal from Gilles Kisioni saw the Corsicans lose at Metz 1-0. Lille saw the season's biggest ever crowd pack the Stade Maroy on Friday, but their exploits were somewhat wasted in a scoreless draw against Marseille. Andrew Nice travelled to Nantes and scraped a one-all draw against Le Canary in Saturday's early match, while in the multiplex, Lorient kept their slim hopes of survival alive with a last-minute 3-2 win. There were also goals aplenty in Bordeaux as Diego Roland took advantage of a rare start to record a double as the hosts thumped Montpellier 5-1. Angers won 3-0 at home to Gangon, continue their good form with their fifth win in six matches, while Toulouse and Rennes played out a scoreless draw. Monaco's Kylian Mbappe celebrated his first call-up to the French national team with a double to lead Monaco to a 3-0 win at Caen, while Joram Veretout scored the only goal of the match late on to see Saint-Étienne win at Bastia. Excuse me. Uh, Lyon took an early lead at the Parc de Prince, but were unable to hold on as the defending champions came back to record a 2-1 win. In Ligue 2, Lens recorded a crucial win away to Reims, while Brest won for the first time in four matches to keep pace with a sang et or at the top of the table. And that's the latest news. But remember, for all the latest headlines, head on over to our website at www.getfootballfriends.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week with table-topping Monaco, who proved just how good they really are on Wednesday night. Their superb 3-1 victory saw them eliminate Manchester City from the Champions League. Eric, how big is this result, not only just to the Principality Club, but for French football as a whole? Well, we had seen Monaco achieve a similar surprising result over an English side. Uh, back in 2014-15, but I think this is something very different. I think that the result that they achieved their Arsenal at the time was perhaps not unsurprising, given the naivete with, with which Arsenal had played, but in comparison to this, um, I think Manchester City under Pep Guardiola are a much more cohesive unit. They certainly showed that in the first leg, and they certainly showed a, a level of talent and a level of, of attacking intent uh, that we hadn't necessarily seen uh, when Ar uh, when Arsenal had been defeated two years ago. So I think this is this it really is a, a significant achievement. I think it shows that whereas that Monaco that edition of Monaco had been rather negative and played on the counter, uh, this edition of Monaco is an entirely different side. Playing this four four two with great aplomb, great attacking intent, and it shows that it, even in playing an attacking style. That Monaco can can go toe to toe with, you know, again Manchester City aren't quite at the level of the three Spanish sides, Juventus, Bayern Munich, but you know a quality team in Europe, and it, and it shows that the Monaco certainly 
belong and that the results that they had garnered through the group stage aren't a fluke. They're a result of uh, impressive player development and an impressive uh, tactical plan by Jardim, uh, something that's evolved and, and developed over the past three years of his stewardship. Yeah, and let, let's talk about the game first of all. Obviously, we discussed it briefly on Thursday, but it was a very one-sided first half where Monaco really put the pressure on Man City and got those two goals that put them exactly where they needed to be on the time and then maybe sat back a little. And, and Manchester City made a couple of changes and came back into the game in the second half. Uh, although, obviously, Bakayoko's goal sealed the game. What did you think to how they started the game and is there questions maybe on, on how Jardim maybe should have reacted to Guardiola's changes or do you think that it was maybe Man City and a little bit of tiredness on Monaco's part that played into them slowly um, losing focus in that second half? I, yeah, I, I would say it's more it's certainly more the latter. I think that David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne had been pretty anonymous, pretty poor even in that first half. Uh, but they, those two in particular really were into the game. De Bruyne had a, a really lovely pass for... City's goal and, and, and Silva was more involved playing playing something that was more akin to a box to box role and I think that that's something that we've seen City do really well in the in the past this nominally a four one four one that it really needs De Bruyne and Silva to be playing at their highest level to be functioning uh, as a, as as box to box infielders rather than merely creative presences and I think that they. They simply didn't didn't help protect Fernandinho nearly as much as they should have in that first half. Guardiola got the chances, and they they ended up playing more of a box to box role, using the pace of Sterling and Sané to to stretch to stretch uh, Monaco at the flanks. Jibril uh, Sibbe in particular had a couple nervy moments. Monaco held on, but I, I think that you know much as they had in the first leg, that you know, Monaco dropped a little bit intensity. Fitness is still an issue. Whether that's something that's going to change, given how many of these players are are looking to have inter- busy international breaks, is something that I, I worry about. I think it is something that Monaco should take into consideration. They should think about having not necessarily a plan B, but a way to play that doesn't necessarily rely so heavily on on stretching play and and uh, and taxing the stamina of the likes of Fabinho and, and Timothy Bakayoko. Both of them were superb, by the way, but I think that, again, you can sort of see how that, that takes its toll on the team and that they're, they're not as able to cover the, the forays forward of Mendy and City Bay, for example. Uh, so, again, you know, Monaco perhaps even a little bit lucky to escape given how well City did pick things up, uh, at least in the first half hour of the second half. But I, I think Jardim needs to be needs to needs to learn something from this match in terms of his plan is is great yes but the other side of that coin is he also needs to have some way to create a, a game plan that's sustainable for 90 minutes because we've seen that be again not monaco's undoing because it did progress but we've seen it make things unnecessarily nervy i think that the quality that city showed over the two legs that, that monaco deserved to go through but probably not only that should have gone through a little bit more comfortably uh, were it not for these sort of lapses in the last 20 or 30 minutes of the matches. 
Yeah, and I've mentioned it back there. Fabinho was absolutely sensational <laughs> on the midweek. Uh, Philip, I'll get your opinion on this as well because you're probably the only one we've not really heard on from this game. What did you think to Monaco's win in midweek? I agree with Eric. Um, I um, I thought that four four two was a very risky uh, tactic from uh, from Jardim. That uh, he uh, he just wanted to to score goals. He basically. Um, divided uh, City's uh, 4-1-4-1 into a back five and a back uh, and a front five um, with uh, immense pressing for 45 minutes and Monaco were 2-0 up at halftime with um, the game in their in their own hands. The only problem is that in the second half, the, um, what they had to do is uh, not to concede any goals and uh, Jardim didn't make any changes. They still kept this very risky... 4-4-2 formation against uh, an attacking Manchester City side. Now, Manchester City probably should have scored uh, more goals than just uh, just one, but there was absolutely no way I could see Monaco scoring a third. I mean, they didn't do anything. They didn't. They for well, they didn't have the ball, and when you don't have the ball against Guardiola, you are you know in trouble. Now, City did not score. Missed missed a lot of um, of good of good chances, and this is quite worrying at this stage of the competition. And um, not not quite sure what their ambitions ambitions are. Um, I mean, if if they are even um, annoyed of, of getting of getting knocked out, but um, that girl from Bakayoko basically came from pretty much out of out of nowhere, and it's only then that Jardim said, "Okay, let's play with uh, let's play with uh, a midfield five. Um, it's yeah, quite quite lucky, quite a lucky escape. But you know, this is a champion here. Sometimes you are lucky, and sometimes you're not. Yeah, and luckily for us, Monaco were lucky on this occasion. Yeah. I, I I want to talk about Eric, one of the players that everyone's got on their lips at the moment, and that's Kylian Mbappe. And I, I want you, obviously, because we have watched Monaco reasonably often this season. We've probably seen him more than most. Don't hold back. How good is he, and how could could oh, how good could he be? I don't think it, that we would be wise to put any sorts of limits on him. I mean, this is the thing; it's not you know he's fast, but he's more than a pace merchant. He's got good touch, good finishing ability, but you know he's more than that. He's able to pull out onto the flanks and create space for the likes of Silva and Lamar to cut inside. So he's he's not just a poacher either. He's someone who understands football in a, in a holistic sense he's and he's able to fit in well to a given tactical plan not only as as someone who scores goals but but someone who can create opportunities for other players not in terms of assists or key passes or whatever statistical metric you'd want to use but just in terms of his position on the pitch and the fact that he creates so much danger that teams have to respect that and and as a result often off are beginning to going to begin to have to alter their game plans I think that that goal he scored against Caen, uh, take, uh, taking the touch to pull the ball back away from uh, Yaya and De Silva and then turning it in from the right side, uh, also from difficult angle, I think you know, perfectly encapsulates what he's about. He uses this incredible pace to get by players, but then shows this great touch, great awareness, and great finishing ability to, to, to put the ball in the back of the net. You know the numbers he's scoring again. You know we're gonna get. There's gonna be some criticism, uh, particularly from English media, about the quality of the game, about the tin pot league. Can you do this? But I, I think we've seen. I think this one Dembele is another player who who fits into this category well. Is that, you know, despite 
again, the French league is not at the same level as the top four leagues in Europe. I don't think that anybody's going to for ourselves, but it does offer uh, defensive solidity, physical robustness, and something that a lot of aspects that make it very difficult, can potentially, sorry, make it very difficult for young players to succeed. And as a result of that, I think that Mbappe's achievements along with those of Dembele last year show that, and, and how Dembele has again transitioned into having a great season at Borussia Dortmund, show that you know there is a certain level of quality in France that, that does translate well into success in, in, in these bigger leagues. And I don't think that we should take anything for granted or take anything away from his performances. I mean, again, Connor poor defensively, yes, but the fact is, you know, they're, they're playing that, you know, they're playing a, a somewhat negative style and they're trying to, trying to sit deep and, and prevent Monaco from playing on the counter. But the fact of the matter is Mbappe's talent at this point in time is just uh, so superlative that they don't really have much of a chance watching, watching that match. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't think we should place any limits on, on what he is. You know, he, he's earned all these comparisons to Terry Henry. Uh, you know, I, I think that Henry is a, obviously a much more physical presence given his height and, and upper body strength. But in terms of raw numbers, Mbappe's eclipsed, eclipsed what he's done. And I think that he could he continue to eclipse that. Again, he's someone that needs to be used in, in, in a proper system. Could he function as a, as a lone center forward? In a 4-2-3-1, for example, I would have my doubts about that. But played in a 4-3-3 or or played in a played in a 4-4-2 like he is currently, I, I don't think that there's any reason to to limit what Mbappe can do. I think he has a chance to be one of the world's very best players for the next three or four years. Mm, I, I think it's a bit um, unfortunate this comparison was Ori because we're always going to make this comparison as uh, Ori uh, started at um, started at Monaco. Uh, then went on to great things. He, uh, we, he didn't actually have the, the greatest time at Juventus. Went on to great things at Arsenal. We can make, kind of make a comparison between Ori being uh, in a Monaco side that wasn't uh, um, free scoring and high scoring, um, but uh, he was in the right dispositions. I, I would think uh, under Arsene Wenger and uh, with uh, with all those players with um, with Sylvain Sil Wildard. Uh, Robert Pires and, and and all this uh, French contingent and uh, you know it just it just clicked. Well, this Monaco side is clicking, and I'm not saying it's uh, easy to score goals in this Monaco side because he is showing what what, what he said was absolutely hilarious yesterday uh, uh, on the media uh, at halftime against Corey. He said he actually missed his control uh, um, in 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 the um, in the action leading to his first goal just before you know he does this dribbling skill coming inside yeah, uh, on Taye and. Um, and Ben Youssef, uh, which is hilarious because you know he 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 didn't miss control. It was it wasn't a great control, but it wasn't a bad control either. Um, but the point is, um, did or we uh, have uh, the uh, the quality of the players of Bernardo Silva, uh, Thomas Lemar, uh, Valère Germain, and all that? No, we didn't. So comparing you know goal scoring records is 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 all very um, um, I won't say. Uh, Dangerous, but you you really have to you really have to take into account how how free scoring Monaco uh, are and uh, probably were and they probably weren't when Henri was was starting. So you know it, it he he is he is yes a, an incredibly gifted player and not just a fast guy with a with a great shot on him or a great head of the ball because second goal I mean we we don't talk uh, we haven't haven't uh, heard anything being talked. Uh, enough about that second goal, but what a great header that was! But um, extremely talented. Uh, then again, 
Monaco uh, free scoring and would he be doing that kind of thing uh, in a side like say well Caen it's all subjective I say possibly <laughs> how good he is yeah possibly yeah. I, I don't I, I just don't know so I'm I'm actually looking forward to uh, to, to him moving yeah Maybe I was PSG. Uh, uh, hopefully, uh, yeah. I was going to say. I, I was thinking about this the other day that I, I can't, I couldn't think of a player that is is naturally good at both being a centre forward and being a, a sort of wide attacker for a long, long while. The only other person I can really, really think off the top of my head is maybe Aubameyang, but I still think he's a better, more clinical finisher than Aubameyang was, especially at this stage. I, I can't believe how good this kid could be. Um, and I was thinking the other day, do, do maybe Barcelona come in and maybe he's maybe someone he usurps one of those top three at some point? Maybe, possibly, he might he might even go to if well, he could go really wherever he wants. I think if if uh, we should really enjoy the next eight games and the cup games and the and the Champions League we've got left with him because I I do fear that someone's going to put a big big offering in the summer and we we might see him leave French football. But let's let's hope not. But let's stick with it. But if, if if there is a big club coming in, be it uh, English or or Spanish, and when I say Spanish, I just mean just those three clubs, two Madrid clubs in Barcelona. And we do hope that uh, that uh, first of all Monaco uh, just don't let him go, uh, just like that. We'll say okay, we'll we'll give you a great big contract so we get a great big uh, transfer transfer fee, or that uh, PSG joins the race. I mean, we we are now in. Uh, that kind of position where Ligue 1 players are po possibly one of the most coveted players in Europe and uh, uh, selling them need to be sell sold at a very high price and and we need we, we've got two two sides that are uh, reasonably wealthy and uh, we really we really shouldn't be uh, be saying uh, be scared of other clubs uh, taking taking them we, we in uh, quite the contrary we should we should be wanting them to stay in Liga to make our our, our, our league more compet competitive. And I think we're in a good position to do that, which has never happened before, hmm. which is it's great. I think they're going to take I think it's going to be about at least very minimum 60 million to take him off of their hands. I think he's going to be a very, very expensive player. But let's let's focus back on Monaco and the, the next round, Eric, which some some commenters on Twitter are saying is maybe the hipster quarterfinal that everyone will want to watch. And that's the drawing Borussia Dortmund with full of a load of young attacking talent themselves. It's a really intriguing tie, isn't it, going in there? And, and have they got a chance against the Germans? Or do you think that maybe Dortmund might have too much? Or what do you think? No, absolutely. I think that, that I think it's, it is going to be a wonderful tie with a very strong French flavor to it. You've got Guerrero, you've got Dembele, you've got Aubameyang. So... Dortmund certainly have no shortage of players that have come through uh, Liga themselves. I, I think it'll be really, really interesting. I think that both teams play with a, an attacking intensity. Dortmund are quite a bit more tactically flexible. They've, they've played three at the back. They've played four-two-three-one. Uh, they've played a four-three-three. They've played a variety of systems really this season. And I think that because of that, we've you know it'll be interesting to see how these two teams match up tactically. But you know, I, yeah, I, I, I think I, of all the of all the quarterfinal draws, I think this one, you know, is probably the one that's the hardest to call. I think that, you know, we we should look at at Monaco certainly having a chance against Dortmund, but again, you know, if Dortmund play to their 
play to their best. You know, if they've if they've got if they've got Royce back, if, if they've got uh, Julian Beigel back, they've got a Bumiang back, then you know, you then you're going to look at a team that's that's got the quality to go toe to toe. And I think we might see something along along the lines of what we saw against Manchester City. Just you know, two teams scoring three, four goals in a match and and really creating some attacking, exciting football. Yeah, Dortmund really aren't fighting for their defensive ability at the moment and someone like Pulisic to come off the bench as well. They're a really exciting team as well. But just to sort of curtail this this talk on Monaco, Philip, I, I wanted to do uh, maybe a slightly more rounded question that I was thinking the other day about teams like Dortmund and another one that springs to mind is Atletico Madrid, those sort of teams that have come to the big table of Europe and sort of stayed there in the last couple of years. Is there potential here if they can keep on to their players? Could Monaco join that elite table of, of European clubs? Um, I think they're already uh, already there. I, I don't think there's that many uh, clubs that can beat uh, that can beat Monaco this season and that uh, they would really have to get uh, up to uh, stolen half or even three quarters of their squad to uh, not be not be competitive uh, this season. I mean Yes, it does take a lot of uh, a lot of hard work and a lot of talent from um, from the, from the whole institution to stay competitive season in season out. But uh, uh, to 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 being is that uh, it's uh, basically all about uh, one German side and two Spanish sides. And uh, apart apart from that, you you're in with a chance. Um, and um, I just don't see. Even if uh, a couple of players are sold and a couple of players will be sold, unfortunately, this summer, I just can't. I just can't see uh, other sides, you know, um, getting getting better, getting better and better. To to me, uh, the only one that could spring to mind is Chelsea. But to me, the Premiership is so competitive that a lot of uh, a lot of clubs will be will be going for for a lot of players. Whereas in uh, in France, there's uh, less competition. There's more more possibilities of uh, keeping your youth stars. Eric, what do you th think very quickly? Do you think that Monaco could join those sort of, uh, maybe not the big table in Europe, like Philip's mentioned of the, the sort of big teams in Spain and the one in Germany, but that sort of second tier top European side? Absolutely. Why not? I mean, we saw Atletico Madrid make this transition three or four years ago when Diego Simeone took over. They were a team that were Solid, a little bit underachieving. They had a decent tradition, but uh, hadn't hadn't. But it, you know, a new manager's approach got them to be consistently at that level. Okay, if they sell Mbappe, you know, you know, we can draw parallels there to the players that Atletico Madrid have had have had to let go of as well. And I think that I think that there's there is an opportunity for continuity here. Now it. it Maybe we'll have the odd season of dropping off, but I think that, you know, if we look at the the, the caliber of player that that they can bring in, you know, now that they're dealing in sort of a higher and higher financial financial level, that I don't think that there's necessarily a reason to have a drop off, and that Monaco could be a team that's in the knockout rounds of the Champions League with regularity. I think that there's other ambitious projects in France, but to me, I don't think that they've shown. Enough that they enough that they can they can build. You know, Leon are going to have to deal with some serious issues this summer in terms of in terms of player departure. I don't think that Nice. You know, some of their players are on loan. I'm thinking of Pereira Bel and Belhanda in particular. 
I don't know that uh, there's there's injury questions as well over Alison Playa. Uh, Dante's 33, 34. What, how much can he contribute going forward? So I don't think that Nice are well set up for the future. And then you know Marseille, I don't think that they've shown they know how to spend the money that they're going to they're going to be having. So I think it can it, you know Monaco are well positioned to continue to be in the Champions League uh, and and to be going into the knockout rounds. You know the more they continue to play well, the higher their seeds going to be. And that's going to that's gonna help matters as well. Now, they were a little bit lucky in terms of the draw this, this season, uh, but in terms of who they were drawn against, but their coefficient will only go up and allow them a better chance to progress year on year. And, and absolutely, the success is sustainable. Yeah, and that'll be noise to the ears of every league on fan, I believe. So we'll move on now to uh, the big game of the weekend, really, in Ligue 1, and that was between Paris Saint-Germain and Lyon. Philip, you were uh, eyes and ears on the ground at the Parc des Princes last night to see uh, Udai Emery's men come from a goal behind to win. Uh, what do you think of the team's overall performance in this uh, big game? Uh, it didn't. It really didn't start very well, and um, I think uh, a lot of credit has to go down to Pastore as uh, Lyon, well... Uh, your score from the corner almost made it 2-0 from uh, another corner. And um, yeah, PSG were back to their usual, uh, it's not very hard to defend against themselves. With um, with Virat, Virat and Rabio not having, uh, not having the greatest time uh, until, the, until the equalizer, but then Passo was able to get between the lines. I thought... I thought I thought maybe uh, Genesio had um, uh, played a, maybe a, 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 a too offensive formation in the first half with uh, with Tolisso not uh, probably not being um, uh, backward uh, enough next to next to Maxim Gonelon, which uh, which helped Pastore actually, which helped Pastore get between get between the lines, get get in between players, uh, finding space for Draxler, for Di Maria, for Cavani. I mean, not playing especially good, but just scoring goals in, in quick succession. And then you had uh, the substitution where Lacazette um, went off went off injured and uh, basically Lyon were not uh, that threatening. But again, PSG were very um, uh, risk-averse in, in terms of uh, the way they handled that second half. Not, not a, lot, a great deal happened, but... The passing was uh, most of the time uh, nonchalant, and uh, uh, s- uh, some mistakes were were being made. And you just can't help to think that uh, if they play like that against Monaco, they'd concede more than one goal. Where Monaco being the next game in the League Cup final, so um, important to beat Lyon, of course, very important. Uh, as PSG failed to to um, to uh, beat Monaco in this at home. But still, um, not exactly a champion's win, shall we say, unlike Monaco's win at Col. And let's focus on on PSG first, Eric. And Philip's mentioned him briefly there, and that's Javier Pastore, who was superb and really head and shoulders above pretty much everyone in this game. How good is it to see him back in form and and performing at this kind of level? It's incredible. I think that Pastore is somebody who's always been a little bit undersold in terms of what he can actually do when he's fully fit. I know that he has this reputation for being so, sort of a creative player, but I think that there's so much more to, to the way that he plays. Uh, his positioning, his dribbling ability, his his ability to track back as well, to play as a central midfielder or on the wing or as a number 10, I think is something that hasn't gotten nearly enough notice. I think, I think back especially to 
that match against Chelsea two years ago when Ibrahimovic was sent off and Pastore took that game by the scruff of the neck, was all over the pitch playing with a really uh, electric enthusiasm and energy. And that he's been robbed of that in the past year, year and a half or so uh, because of injury. And that he, he is the sort of player, I mean, it's no coincidence Emery gave him the number 10. I mean, on form, he has a chance to be the heartbeat of that team. I know we talk about the importance of Marco Baratti being on the pitch, uh, the importance of, of uh, Di Maria being on form, how, how Draxler's improved things since he's arrived. But I think that Pastore and that, and that match, you know, that could have gone very wrong for PSG, as Philip Ridley mentioned. Leon were certainly in the ascendancy in the beginning. Uh, and I, I think Leon got things really wrong tactically. Hopefully we have a chance to go into that. But I think that Pastore's ability to, to, just to keep possession and to allow it allow things to just calm down a little bit and and get create some good chances really makes a difference for, for PSG. I mean, you know, playing that four three three with Matuidi in that position, and Matuidi's great. He's a willing worker, and I, I appreciate what he does in terms of being a, a genuine box to box midfielder. But he doesn't have that sort of creative now, that ability to keep the ball at his feet that. Pastore does, and that that's, that not only takes some of the pressure off of Verratti in terms of keeping the ball, but gives PSG a little bit more creativity. I mean, you know, Draxler and Di Maria can, can be creative conduits from the flanks, but they're also, uh, you know, Di Maria is not going to play that, those slide roll passes uh, along the ground that we saw Pastore do in creating those goals. It's just not this is not his game. He he's not necessarily a one-touch footballer. He's more someone that's likely to bang in across, and so Pastore just. Through this, through his versatility, just allows PSG to have not only that that amoeba-like energy to 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 spread spread play, but also to give genuine creativity and genuine individual talent on a level that there's not really another player on the team that can offer that, and uh, at that same level. So I think that it's absolutely wonderful, and I think that. Uh, you know, you, you kind of wonder at this point, you know, what might have been had Pastore not, not, not had so many problems with injury? Would, you know, would PSG have dropped these points at home uh, in, these, in some of these draws? And would they be, you know, three or four points clear of Monaco had he been healthy all season? It, it's certainly something that, that, uh, that begs consideration. And it, it's good to see him fit. And hopefully he can stay fit for the rest of the season and we can enjoy him in that really makes a good build-up for that cup final you've briefly mentioned, Philip, in a couple of weeks' time. It's still a big game. They've changed formation in this one as well to do a 4-2-3-1 without that uh, extra midfielder. Do you think that's something yeah. we'll see in the cup final come that game against Monaco, or do you think they Unai Emery, with the conservativeness he showed in that second half, might maybe dial it back a little bit? You know what? I hope not because um, Jardim has has shown that he's not afraid to play four four two against uh, the best sides in in Europe, and uh, I I really don't think Monaco are uh, as afraid as PSG are because Monaco have nothing to lose in this game. They uh, they can win uh, a major a major tournament, a tournament that PSG has won the last uh, two or three times. And I'm not not quite sure, maybe even more. Um, um, so PSG will, will have the pressure to to win that one, and they will be all uh, the build-up will all be about uh, the side that are champions. have won it, won this time and time and again. And actually, PSG do have this history of winning uh, cup competitions, even when uh, even when doing uh, not doing very good in in the league. I remember when 
2008-2009, PSG were fighting against the drop, but they still made two two cup finals. Um, and on on the other hand, you've got uh, you've got PSG. Um, uh, it's 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 basically the final of uh, of of the league with the two league games already being already being played. Um, and going back to the question, I just I just hope that four to three one is extremely risky to play uh, against uh, against Monaco, who play who play with four four two, lots of lots of pressure. So I would I would think that a three man midfield would uh, would be necessary to contain uh, that front four. When I say front four, I mean, I mean the two strikers and the two wingers, with uh, Bakayoko and Fabinho going forward uh, willingly. So I do I do hope it'll, it'll be some kind of uh, kind of um, return to force between that game, with um, a major major defensive work on Sidibe and Mendy. Yeah, and uh, moving on really to Leon's performance, Eric, and you you mentioned briefly that they got it tactically wrong, and, and Genesio did change things from what we've seen more recently with the success they had with four three three and moving to more of a four two three one with Toliso partnering Gonalon in that sort of two man midfield. Was that a mistake, and and did they also lose a bit of impetus when Lacazette came off as well in the second half? Yeah, I think basically what this boils down to is, for me, it's not a four three three or a four two three one. It's a four four two, because Nabi Fekir, mm-hmm. I mean, he sees himself as a striker. Whether that's something that he's explicitly expressed or not, it's not. He does not play as as an attacking midfielder. He plays as a striker. I know he had played at the tip of a diamond when Leon had played that 4-4-2 under Fournier, but that's not the style he plays. And he doesn't work and he doesn't track back uh, in that attacking midfield position. And what, that, what we saw that do is force Lacazette to drop back and force Lacazette to drop to, drop to give Leon numbers in midfield to compete with, with, with PSG. And that saw Lacazette be overstretched, and that's, it saw him be overworked, and it saw him go off because of injury. I think, you know, he made that, ta- he tried to make a tackle on it, but one of say it was Rabio about 20, 25 minutes in. And from then on, he was, he was not an entity. You could tell he was hurting, but Genesio waited until six minutes after halftime to bring him off and to bring Sergi Darder on. Whereas, you know, if he had started with a 4 3 3, started with that formation that's been working, Bring in Tusar and and allow and give uh, Quentin Tolisso a bit more freedom. Not force Lacazette to have to track back because Fekir doesn't want to do the work. Then you've got a, a team that is going to continue to have a cohesive attacking plan without sacrificing the middle of the park. And Leon just didn't have that. I said that I said this time and again. Quentin Tolisso, Maxime Gonalon are both great players. They're some of the best in Liga. They don't work as a midfield too. It it. It, for, it forces, Gonalon's not fast, and it forces him to try and cover too much ground, and it also takes away the attacking options that Toliso offers. And Leon needs to be playing a three-man midfield, whether that's, with, whether that's with Ferry in there, whether that's with Tussard in there, I would say Tussard on the balance of recent form, or whether that's a Sergio Jarder on there. It, Leon just do not function, whether it's a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-4-2, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't work because it doesn't get the best out of their players, and it also forces... Uh, it forces those wide players to have to do more work in tracking back as well. I mean, Memphis Depay trying to cope with Serge Aurier, please. That's only going to go one way. As, as, much, as, good as, Depay, <laughs> as good as Depay has been in recent times, we know, we know that attacking proclivity that Aurier has. And PSG are keying on that. How many times did we see Pastore drift, drifting out to the right uh, and Depay trying to track back and deal with him? 
And again, that's Depay is not a defensive player. He's not going to be able to have that sense of positional solidity that he needs to have to, to play in that role. And it also places even that much more pressure on Jeremy Morrell, who again, you know, a lovely player on his day, but you know, not the most solid defensively. And yeah, Genesio just got it wrong front to back. You've got the international break coming up, and now you've got Lacazette potentially injured. Hopefully, he's gonna he'll be back, you know, in, in plenty of time for the, the matches in two weeks' time. But that's a real concern. You know, I, I'm not saying Leon would have necessarily gone on and won the match, but he 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 played the team too openly, and and also his substitution patterns too. I mean, beyond that, you know, why you know why is why is Fekir staying in the pitch? If if he's I mean okay yeah sure he's the he's the nominal number nine if if like that's coming off but he's the poorest performer Bob Wayne had probably been Leon's best performer and he comes off Depay stays on I mean there's there's just a lot a lot Genesio has to answer for in terms of this match on form yeah Leon retired after after the exertions against Roma the last two weeks but they should have offered more more competition uh, for PSG were they properly set up in terms of tactics and personnel. So you wouldn't have um, started a, a four-two-three-one with Talisa behind Lacazette, for instance, and Tuzal taking Fekir's place. That would work, sure. But Gonalon and Talisa are not a two-man midfield. I mm. think we've seen we've seen them play together, try to play together in that shape often enough this season, and it just doesn't come off. Not a, at least not against teams of PSG's quality. Maybe against you know Nancy or Mets. Yeah, sure. They 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 can they can do a job because. Taliso is not afforded to get anything. The other thing, too, that I think Leon really missed is, is Emmanuel Mana. Now, you know, not, the, not that I think Diakabi and, and Young Adiwa played especially poorly, but the passing the, and the assuredness on the ball that Mamana offers that those other two players don't, I think makes a huge difference for Leon. Uh, Emmanuel Mana, you know, he's young, yes, but his assuredness on the ball, his confidence, and his ability to link play either with either with uh, Gonalon or or just or to play passes long out of the back, I think that's an ability that uh, Gonalon and or sorry that Yanga and Biwa and Diakabi don't have. They're more of a, a get the ball out, you know, an aerial presence. I saw a statistic that between the two of them, they completed two long passes off the ground between the two of them, uh, and that's simply not not going to do it. That's there's that's not a way to exploit the pace of. Uh, the likes of Depay on the wing and, and Valbuena to get in to get into space and to force PSG's fullbacks to play deep. And that's another thing too. You know, Maxwell didn't have a great match, but he certainly grew into the game. And as the more as PSG recognized that those long balls weren't coming, he could cheat up and cheat up and cheat up. And we know the way Serge Aurier plays. Leon just made it too easy for PSG. It was really frustrating for me to see, not only as a Leon fan, but as an observer of Ligue 1. We want this match to be a thrilling encounter. And it, it wasn't. I mean, it was pretty dull, to be frank. Yeah, especially in the second half. I was, I was actually, uh, well, this is what actually why I, I, um, I pretty much caved and, and, and paid and paid for the ticket. I was actually expecting it to be much more competitive than it was, but not really disappointed by the second half uh, because, uh, you know, obviously, obviously, I wanted uh, wanted Peja to, to 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 win, but I think. I, I certainly wasn't expecting. I was expecting a PSG win, but I, cer- I certainly wasn't expecting a five-nil win like uh, we had in in previous uh, in previous seasons. So uh, I'm not even sure if that means progress for Lyon, 
because of uh, the reasons you mentioned, the tactical frailties you mentioned, I, I, I honestly saw that Fekir is just uh, still not back to his, back to his best, and uh, just there's some some kind of um, uh, demotivation about him when he when he runs onto onto the pitch that you just don't see in in Lacazette or Toulouse or Gonalon or even Valbuena. Well, it's not even. Yeah. It's not even, you know, being back to his best in terms of the player he was in an attacking sense. He wasn't mm. trying. I mean, no, that's the impression I got too. Yeah. But, I mean, watch. I, I just watched. I I had a problem with my internet yesterday. I wasn't able to watch the match live, so I watched it back this morning. Mm. I mean, there's you know there's an instance. I want to say in, early in the second half, he's tracking mm. back. He misses a tackle on Di Maria. Di Maria has a long shot, a looping shot that. Lopez has to palm away, and Gonzalez and Diacabi are yelling at him like, "What are you doing? What? Why? Why aren't you continuing to follow his run? You missed the tackle. Okay, get back up and keep keep pressuring on him." You know, Di Maria is you know, not a goal scoring player, but to let him have a free shot from there with that much space and that much time, you know, yeah. Like, I mean, that was by some measures the the poorest I've seen Fakir play this season. It was really mm. disappointing the lack of effort he displayed in a match of that magnitude. You know, people have talked about him being a potential candidate for France. And after the performance he delivered against Roma and and uh, and against Azed that hat trick about a month ago, but I don't see it. He's he's not he hasn't stepped up in, in a match of this caliber the way he needs to if he's really going to get himself back into Deschamps' good graces and back as being one of the best players in in Liga that he had been two seasons ago. He also looked like he didn't really care. Uh, there, there are also those kind those types of ball where a player. Uh, is up against, uh, let's say, a left wing is up against a right back, and uh, he manages to go outside the right back. The ball goes marginally off uh, over the line, but uh, he manages uh, to, you know, uh, to maybe trick the referee. Uh, then the linesman waves his flag up, and then the player would say, "No, uh, you're wrong. I mean, uh, no way. This ball, uh, this ball didn't cross the line. I, I, I should be about." I should be able uh, to be. Uh, I should be allowed to be able to play on. And Fikir just doesn't do that. Uh, he says uh, the ref says no. The, the ball's gone out, and Fikir just uh, basically just gives up. He says, "Oh well, all right. Um, too bad." Mm. And that's just not the same uh, attitude that the other Lyon players have. Actually, it's, it's not the same attitude uh, every other league players have. Well, mm. maybe at Bastia, I don't know. But uh, it's just, it's just. Yeah, it's just uh, uh, just giving up, mm. which is let, really really worrying. Let, let's very quickly, sort of briefly, uh, Philip, get your word on on the Europa League. Obviously, they got a really good result against Roma, and their draws not particularly easy against Besiktas. What do you think? Can, can they get through that and possibly even get to the final? Uh, I would be very disappointed if you got uh, got knocked out by uh, by Besiktas. I have no idea who's who's playing for them, but uh, it, it does. Abubakar, yeah, Abubakar's uh, there on loan, but he's suspended yeah, right. actually. Yeah, he got oh, sent off in the second leg, didn't he? Yeah. Um, so Abubakar uh, aside now, uh, I, I have no <laughs> idea who who plays for Besiktas now, and uh, I honestly don't really rate the Turkish league. I think uh, it is a hard place to go to, of course, especially these days. Uh, and uh, I, I just, uh, I just think that you can do this, no problem. Well, Eric, no problem. They don't have to work hard, but uh, you know they can do this. Eric, what do you think of the draw? Oh, yeah, I agree. I, I'd be really disappointed, Leon, if they didn't progress. Just a tricky trip to Turkey. That's the only problem. Maybe that only hurdle they might have to jump. Really, but let's look. I would ahead. compare this to Manchester United's trip to Wasta. Pretty much sums up the same thing. 
yeah, it was, it was more like a parking lot in Rostov more than anything, I think, to be fair. Uh, let's let's look ahead now to the upcoming week of, for the French national team as they are heading to Luxembourg in qualifying on Saturday before they head home to take on Spain next week. Uh, we chat about the squad briefly on, fr- on uh, Thursday, Eric, but there are a couple of fresh faces in that squad, including the newest call-up, Timiui Bakayoko, is replaced uh, Paul Pogba who's had to pull out through injury. How deserved is his place in the squad? Yeah, I think it's absolutely deserved. I think that, you know, especially with, I mean, Luxembourg being a given, and you could take 11 players who weren't picked and, and, and beat Luxembourg. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, bash them too much, but this this is a pair of fixtures that he really should uh, look to to give more of these young players a chance. And I think that, that Bakayoko probably deserved a chance, even even had Pogba not been injured. I mean, his form has been absolutely inspirational this season. He's looked off the boil in a couple of matches recently, but I think he might be able to put some of that down to in- injury. Uh, he's got that same energy, that drive, that that physical power that oh, has earned him comparisons to the likes of uh, Yaya Torre in the recent past. Uh, perhaps not the goal scoring ability, but. I think that he's absolutely deserving of that, and I think that he can be a real force. I mean, we've seen that the under-21 midfield, uh, Rabio, Toliso, and Bakayoko work really well together, work really well cohesively. And honestly, I'd like to eventually see that translated into the, into the national team. I know that that would leave Paul Pogba out, and that's certainly an elephant in the room, but perhaps playing a 4-3-1-2 with, with Pogba in a free roll, uh, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, and I think that Bakayoko is absolutely deserving of this chance. Uh, Great shout for the for the Monaco player who's really had to overcome a lot in terms of injury and and being being left out of the side uh, since his arrival from Ren. Uh, we might be putting a a little bit of a kink into the people that really love N'Golo Conte with that comment as well. They've, but that also shows the talent they've got in that midfield as well at the moment. But Philip, we've oh, sometimes uh, okay. Well, I just want to say the thing about Conte is I I you know I ah. I don't know that you can put him and, and, and Paul Pogba on the pitch at the same time. I think that he is a, a wonderfully you know, great and energetic player, but I just think in terms of what he can offer in attack, he's not, he doesn't offer as, as much as, as any of the other players that have been brought in. And I, I think that, Chikante being in the squad, absolutely. I have, no, I have no issue with that. But I don't know that he's deserving of a place in the first 11 in a given week. I, 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 I take your point that it's controversial, but I think that playing a 4-3-3, you need to be able to have uh, a tactical versatility and a positional versatility amongst all your players. Uh, and is Conte going to really affect the game going forward? Unfortunately not. And that's that's what we've seen with PSG playing Robbie at that base of midfield. Uh, you know, I think that works really well. Bakayoko can play that role well, and he can get take off on the odd dribble as well. But Tommy doesn't offer that. And and for me, I think he's someone you, you might want to bring in with half an hour, twenty minutes left to shore up a match. But is he someone you want to start against top level opposition? I I don't necessarily see it. It's not it's not really as well though, is it? Isn't isn't it? Isn't he supposed to be the modern day Makaleli? 
Yeah, I think Eric's thinking of more formation-wise with being a fourth or three. But yeah, yeah, he scored against yeah. Manchester United. So <laughs> yeah, but it's Manchester United. Pill for me. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say bit of pill for me to swallow at least. Uh, we've often, Philip, we've we've criticised Deschamps in the past for maybe sticking by a few too many players. But looking at the yeah. squad that they've uh, brought through recently, there's a fair number of young players and experienced players as well. well just looking through Kazawa, Sadebi, Umtiti, Kimpembe, Mondi. Rabio, Lemar, Bakioko, Toliso, Tova, uh, Mbappe, Dembele all have under about, I think the most of us, any of those have got six caps so far. So with the amount of great young players that are coming through in France, is it really refreshing to see uh, Deschamps start to bring them into the squad and start to meld them into what could be a really exciting team heading into the World Cup and beyond? We could say that. There's uh, one uh, position I, uh, I'm a bit uh, disappointed with with this list. Is that is it always seems to be the same guys. It's uh, okay. Lois is uh, the undisputed number one. Do we need to call him? Well, we, well actually, we we are playing Spain, so yeah. Uh, do we need to to call him up? And then you've got Cousin Areola. Cousin uh, never gets to play. Areola, we know what what he's like. Uh, he's not international standard yet. Uh, I'd say give uh, give some young guy li- like uh, like Lafon a um, chance against uh, against Luxembourg just to just to say okay this is not funny this is a serious game of course it is a, it is a World Cup qualifier very important but uh, it's not uh, it's not you know it's not exactly world class opposition so give give some uh, some Liga youngster a chance to prove himself uh, and play for and have a have a national nice cap for France um, it's not going to happen for Costille. Uh, I just don't really see the point in um, in taking three three goalkeepers in all, all in all honesty, um, and I just don't see the point in uh, having Areola in this in this squad. Apart from that, I do I do have that Kimpembe uh, players like Kimpembe, Mendy. Actually, CDB last time he played, he didn't didn't play very well. Uh, I do hope that uh, uh, Kimpembe and Mendy get uh, uh, at least uh, 45 minutes out of those. Um, Two games. Same same goes for Lemar and Rabiot and Tolisso. I wish I would very much like Tolisso to be played um, uh, as a second strike in a four-two-three-one. Um, and uh, yeah, just give just just start Mbappe against Luxembourg. Just let, let let the guy have some have some fun. Just play him between uh, between I don't know um, between Tovin Tovin and uh, and Dembele. That would be I mean that would be great fun. Just just the youngsters enjoying themselves. It would be almost like an under twenty under twenty game uh, <laughs> in a World Cup qualifier in a senior World Cup qualifier, which would be pretty amazing. So but, you know, Phil, let me let me get your. I, I've had. Quite a few debates uh, with Jeremy Smith, Muhammad Ali, yeah. Lana on Twitter about this. I think I read does, that. Does, does Tovan deserve it? Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I mean he uh, he does have uh, some some kind of uh, talent, and uh, he's uh, no, he's a good uh, he's a good right winger, and we are uh, quite a bit lacking in that. And uh, Dembele didn't really prove himself. It's I want to say it's almost too friendly. So of course it isn't, but uh, I think there's no harm in him getting being called up. And uh, well, he has been one of Marseille's better players, yeah. But okay, here's the thing: he's he's 24. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, yes, that's young, but the well, fact of the matter is <laughs> compared to got, some. <laughs> well, yeah, but you've got Kingsley Coman, you've got you've got Usman Dembele. Yeah, you know, you, no, I mean got, compared to a guy like Mbappe, yeah, that's uh, not not so young anymore. <laughs> but this is the thing. I mean, if 
if we're looking at France as being able to develop a team that is, you know, going to compete, going to have all these players, say if you've got, you know, maybe Griezmann and Griezmann as, as being your, your senior player looking forward at Russia 2018 and, and the Euros in 2020. Uh, to have all to have all that that set of players that are born between ninety eight and ninety one, you know, is Tolvan really the player you want to be looking at in terms of in terms of developing play? I'm talking about facing out the likes of Paye, the likes of Matuidi, the likes of Bakary Sanya uh, to 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 get a younger squad. I don't know necessarily know that that the the Tovan is deserving of he's deserving of a look in sure, but is he really going to be part of France's team going forward? And given how much young talent there is here, I mean, you know, you, you think about some of the young players that are that, that aren't being called up that 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 you know, the likes of them that could be that could be important in this in this team in 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 the in the in the near future. I mean, I I don't know. I I don't necessarily see it. I mean, you know, Maxime Lopez is an, is another one that I. I that could potentially figure by the time 2020 rolls around. I, I, I personally don't see what point there is in, in bringing in Tovan other than he's a Marseille player. And it, it, it's a, a nod to, I don't know, to Marseille fans pressure or whatever. So yes, I'm not, I'm not really sure what Dimitri Pai is doing here is so deserving. Uh, is, I mean, he spent so many, yeah. Uh, yeah. Valbuena it should be the player that gets called in. He's been, I agree. I agree. Brilliant um, all season. I uh, I find it quite amazing because you know Dijon has his um, has his men, shall we say, his stalwarts, uh, and uh, Paye did uh, did wait for so long to get his first call up under Dijon, and now it's it's almost like uh, he's one of Dijon's stalwarts now, and and one of the main reasons why he's being called up because uh, I would say actually Tourizia is more deserving than Paye, and I wouldn't even even take Paye. But I think you you're thinking about this as more as a long term strategy for. Uh, giving uh, giving news its its chance and that uh, Tovan doesn't necessarily fit in the uh, Le Martoliso Dembele uh, Mbappe mold uh, and I I honestly believe that uh, Tovan doesn't really have much of a chance of making that uh, uh, 23 squad for Russia and that it's more a bit like um, if we if we remember a bit like uh, some kind of the Yuan uh, Yuan Miku Vikash de Rasa mold well where they'll uh, make a couple of caps, five, maybe ten, between five or ten, maybe even less, and just uh, never be quite close to the squad. Just, uh, you know, this being, uh, you know, uh, in, in, um, in quotation marks, two friendlies, this one just, saying, uh, just uh, taking someone who's just playing well, and not necessarily thinking about, uh, about strategy and saying, okay, you've got... Such group of players that are experienced, such group of players that are not experienced, and need to get uh, experience with uh, with French football. I'm not, I'm not really um, having. I'm not even. I'm not really doubtful of Tova making the Russia as a squad for Russia. To be honest, but well, he's been, just, he does deserve it actually from from what he's he's done in the past few months. So. I just I just think that really think the French should be looking at this is that World Cup is theirs to lose. They've yeah, already, me. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, they pretty much already qualified. They their toughest match away at Holland, they won. Mm. And I mean, you know, I know they had that nervy draw earlier in qualifying, but they're yeah, they're in great position to qualify. It would be a huge surprise at this point if they didn't qualify. So, so just very sorry, quickly, Eric, did, yeah. who would you have in in Tovan's place then if you were picking from from this point? 
Valbuena. Valbuena. I, I think that, look, this is the thing. Valbuena does not deserve to be a part of the starting France 11, but he's shown time and again with Leon this season, that even if he's not starting, he's mentally ready to come off the bench, to affect matches, and to be really effective even in 20 or 30 minutes. And this is something that I don't think is present in, in many other players that are in that France squad. Ability to come on and genuinely affect a match, whether it's through free kick, whether it's through dribbles. Valbuena really has that, and he, he's also shown he's, you know, even at 32 years old, he's still mentally ready to, to affect a match. And I and that's something that I think, okay, yeah, he's going to be 33, 34. I'm not sure when his birthday is by the time that World Cup rolls around. But I think it's, he, he will be 33. His birthday's in September. I've just, just checked that for you. It's a point taken. But to have a player come off the bench and affect a match like that, that's not a weapon that Deschamps necessarily has in any of these other players. Maybe you have that in Coman, but Coman's more of a wing, more of a, an orthodox winger. He's not someone that's going to be able to get at players with the ball at his feet. Uh, maybe that's Dembele, but... I don't think he, do you want to, if you, if you need to turn a match around in the world cup, you know, Dembele is a great player, but you know, you really want to be trusting that to a 21 year old. I don't know. I, I think Valbuena on current form, even factoring another year, year of wear and tear on his body deserves a space in this team, you know, for that level of experience and for that ability to change a match off the bench. I'm going to actually disagree and and put the other voice in this question in the sense that I think that yes, Falbuena's had a terrific season, but is he really someone you need to look at now to at this stage, especially in, in two games that are like we've said, essentially friendlies? I'm not so sure. Tovan, does he start for this team? Does he make the 23? Maybe not, but if he shows the form that he did at least early in the season, and he can replicate that and show the maturity he started to show this season as well. He's maybe possibly an option for them, at least, especially at his age. And, and I also think, and it's, I think it's a good point to make, looking at the players' ages, of the majority of them, I mean, the oldest players I'm looking at, really, for the future at least, is Antoine Griezmann and, and, and possibly Pogba at 24, 25. That this is really a golden generation of French players, similar to which what we, what we saw at the time with both Spain and Germany in those cycles where... They brought everyone in at the same time and allowed them to get those experiences together. I think that's the way they should go. I think that's the way they're looking at going. And I think, in all honesty, and I'm, I'm maybe being a little bit harsh here because he has been terrific and it's nothing to do with his form. I think putting Valbuena in the squad, even though he does make a difference off the bench, it might be a little bit of a backward step in terms of developing all these players to come through at once as a cohesive unit. But that's, always, always that's my two cents. I, I always thought he was uh, quite unlucky, and that uh, he got uh, he got the wrong the wrong end of the of the sex tape scandal with Benzema, and that uh, he he probably um, I don't know that uh, he's he's probably uh, harshly judged by this scandal and uh, not being uh, as as fair shot as the other players in France at least. Absolutely, and. <laughs> Everyone over here in England is just looking jealously at every single one of those players and wishes that... Have any of them got English passports or English parents or, or, or visited England at any point that we can steal? <laughs> if only we could nationalise some of them ourselves, but never mind. Uh, that's all that we have time for this week. Uh, my thanks to Philip and Eric and for all of you listening at home. Uh, we will have no preview show on Thursday because of the international break, but we might have a little bit of a special show for you this time next week so do tune in to us again then i'll be anto and goodbye